I must just, regenerate my knees. Yeah. He's just strapping placentas to them underneath all the bandaging. <laughs> Welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. This has been the longest week of NFL games, but it's finally done. So hey guys, we got Connor here, we got Ronan. Hello. And we got Sean. Hello. How are we getting on, lads? Any crack? Not much going on. Lockdown is officially over, so I'm sure the country outside is going mad. I haven't gone out yet, planning to avoid it as much as possible, but (laughs) at least it looks like we're going to have a Christmas. We have to travel for Christmas, which is good. Still trying to see how things go week to week, I think, is just the way to go. Yeah, no, it seems seems okay. The twelve week numbers and all that kind of stuff have gone down. I think we're the lowest in Europe on the twelve week figures and stuff, which is good. That the, the vaccine bits as well are starting to come through. So, yeah, the COVID, the Department of Health COVID briefings, the the doctors are really bigging up the we're the best in Europe. They keep bringing out their graph. It's like we're the best <laughs> in Europe. Look at us, aren't we great? Pointing out that like Finland or something is doing really badly seems to be the thing they do every once in a while. Suck it, Finland. <laughs> we're the best thing with land at the end of our name we're at the bottom of the hill ignore the new hill that's not coming don't worry about it <laughs> what about yourself Fitzy any crack well similar to Sean I, I, I haven't been flippant about going out and taking advantage of the new uh, regulations obviously you know hopefully gonna go home I suppose for Christmas based on what's been said so far and mm. uh, yeah I'll obviously be extra safe uh, when we get close to that time to uh Take care of the old the old uh, mother, you know. Make sure she doesn't catch anything from me. No, of course. And obviously it helped with the staying in that we had a nice spread of games this week with games going from Thursday all the way up to Wednesday night. Or for us, it was Wednesday night. For, 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 for those in the States, it was Wednesday lunchtime. Uh, more of those, please. They suit really well for European schedules. We'll fly into the news now and start with COVID. As always, cases in Baltimore, including Lamar Jackson. Denver had all four of their quarterbacks on COVID and had to play without a starting quarterback. Well, they elevated a a practice squad wide receiver. Pittsburgh, Indianapolis, Arizona and Cleveland all had varying degrees of of players with it. Uh, The week 12 Thursday night uh, Baltimore-Pittsburgh game was delayed all the way up to Wednesday. This also means that there's no Thursday night football this week. As you can imagine, that's why we're recording this a little bit later. We wanted to see that match and also there's no Thursday night football to preview. Washington and Pittsburgh is now going to be on Monday and Dallas and Baltimore from Thursday night to Tuesday. That's kind of the headlines of what's happened with the teams. Apart from a very interesting thing, Santa Clara have decided to ban all contact sports. And as we may know, the big blue jean Levi's, their new stadium, is in uh, Santa Clara. So they are now going to play all their home games in the Arizona Stadium, which, interestingly, as I understand, Arizona has a far higher COVID rate than Santa Clara does. <laughs> so in a response to fears about COVID, they're sending them into a much more COVID-riddled area. Yeah, liberals using their facts and lockdowns to, you know, try and minimise one of the most horrific months in American history. Those bastards. Like, Santa Clara is basically, I suppose, being somewhat of a, you know, an oasis of, of sense in a country gone mad because the coronavirus we know is getting completely out of control in the United States as the combination of no restrictions alongside it being winter and therefore more people being huddled inside and less ventilated areas and all that stuff so it's getting completely out of control there and despite the fact that we have all agreed that the nfl is doing a huge amount of effort to try and get this thing under control and stop this taking over the league and stopping spread within teams and between teams 
that the level of the pandemic in America has meant that it's been impossible to get away with it. Um, so Baltimore ended up being basically completely shot down with COVID. They had up to 20 players at any one time um, with COVID or close contacts of people either within the team or outside the team. So when they played uh, yes, on Wednesday, they only had 35 players to field due to COVID. So that's an indication of how bad things got in Baltimore. Mm. And then in Denver, you had this ridiculous situation where they didn't have any quarterback. They had to get a practice squad wide receiver who played two years at QB at college and put him at quarterback. And, you know, it, it was a farce, really. We'll talk about that in the reviews, but it was a farce. And so you see now that the NFL is it's really, really stressing itself to try and make these games happen. But given what's happening, it's getting harder and harder to do that. And, you know, they, they, they cancelled team activities on Monday and Tuesday this week to try and stop a post-Thanksgiving surge. And, like, they're, they're fining teams. They're, they took a seventh-round pick for New Orleans. So they're doing everything they can, but the, the U.S. is just so out of control. I don't know if they can really do this. I don't think if it's possible. It's going to be very interesting to, to see if the NFL considers this, this week to have been a success or a disaster. All the games were played, although the, the Ravens-Steelers game only just about made it, and perhaps questionable whether it even should have gone ahead. I personally, and I, I think I might be in the minority, I think the Denver, the fact that the Denver-New Orleans game went ahead without the Broncos having a single proper quarterback is actually an utter disgrace, and speaks more to the, the, the league's kind of Herculean efforts to keep the season going rather than take into account things like sporting integrity and fairness. I, I'm not necessarily. I don't think it's a, it's unfair on the Broncos. I mean, it's clear that the they brought this upon themselves. The quarterbacks were in the quarterback room without masks on, so they all became close contacts when one of them tested positive. So they they're not that they should be punished by being forced to to play without a quarterback is fair enough. But the problem is is that the Saints are a very much a, a live playoff team. They are the number one seed in the NFC as things stand. And if I am the Green Bay Packers or if I am the Seattle Seahawks or the Arizona Cardinals or the LA Rams, I am monumentally pissed that the one of our rival teams for the, the top spot in the NFC, and let's remind ourselves, the number one seed is the only one that gets the, the wild card by um, this year, that they got basically a free win um, out of this. So I think in, in the name of, of kind of the integrity of the league from a sporting perspective, to force a team to play without someone who can play the position that is by far the most important position um, on an NFL team, I actually think it was an, an utter disgrace. And yeah, I just, yeah. I'm just very angry about the fact that game went ahead. I can, I can, I can see what, where you're coming from. And like, yes, there's an element of it being brought on themselves from the, from the Broncos. I'm not sure what the alternative for it is because like you can say the exact same thing about say a conference has to play out of conference back, say when the Patriots were the big dogs and the NFC East had to come in and play them. If the first two teams had to play them while Tom Brady was there and then he got injured and then the other two get to play him when they've got a backup and they're nowhere near as effective, that's no less the variety and weirdness that can happen with injuries to players throughout the year anyway, right? There's a difference between something that's being kind of unlucky or the natural variance um, of a sports season versus a decision that the NFL had to make about whether or not to go ahead with this game, despite the fact that Denver basically could not win um, under under any circumstance. Like, it, it was possible that they were going to beat um, the Saints uh, without a quarterback. As Fitz will go through in the, in the game reviews, they, they basically had no passing game, uh, and they had no offense um, to speak of. So it was a decision the NFL made, which I think distinguishes it from the kind of 
the unlucky situations where you, you play a good quarterback one week or maybe he's, in, he's injured the next week. Those things are unavoidable. They're natural parts of sports league. But this was an active decision to go ahead despite the fact the game could in no way be competitive when you could have. I mean, the problem is the NFL would have had to essentially give these teams second bye weeks and then have to kind of add on an extra week at the end of the regular season, which is obviously why they didn't do it because they want the season to end um, on schedule. But the consequences of that, I think, is that you have a situation in which one team that is competing for a very valuable playoff spot was essentially given a free win, which I just don't think is very fair at all. No, I, I, I can see that. I don't. I'm not. I'm not sure that with QBs, Denver were going to be competitive in that game anyway. But well, uh... <laughs> that, is, that is a fair counterpoint. <laughs> But I suppose the thing is, it's about setting the precedent for, for, for other instances. Yeah, there was also some brief talk on the Wednesday night game with Commissioner Goodell about the potential for, he was asked quite pointedly about the potential for bubbles for the postseason, when there's smaller numbers, and he said it is something that they're looking into. But the practicalities of it, given, you know, it'll be home games and all that kind of stuff for, for different teams and having to travel, I don't know how that would actually work, but I'm sure we'll hear more about that as the season comes into the tail end. Uh, Detroit have finally gone and done it. They fired Matt Patricia and GM Bob Quinn after the loss to Houston. This has been a long time coming. Our offensive coordinator Daryl Bevel was made interim head coach. Patricia has a 13-29-1 record, has not made a single playoff appearance with them. He's a rocket scientist who carries a pencil behind his ear, even though the sheet he's holding is laminated. And I think that tells you all you need to know about him. <laughs> and yeah, like the the story here was that they were trying to create a Patriots type organization with both Quinn and Patricia coming from the New England organization, but uh, they had some things that were missing. They had a bad defense, consistently bad, which considering that uh, Patricia was was the DC in New England is a bit of a concern. And the offense has been incredibly inconsistent, and that's hugely problematic, especially when you have a franchise quarterback in Stafford. Now you can have a debate about how where Stafford should be in the QB hierarchy, but he's certainly a starting level QB if you put the talent around him. And they just haven't been able to get anything going. There've been lots of questionable calls. There's been lots of you know discontent within that locker room. Good players being traded away, like playing Quandre Diggs and basically shit talking Patricia as soon as they got out of the building. So it's just been a toxic culture. And obviously, the record speaks for itself. He was a terrible hire. They got rid of Jim Caldwell after finishing 9-7 and seven, two seasons in a row. And they went with the mediocre white guy. And this is what ends up happening. Now, the interesting thing is that the Detroit ownership has changed within the Ford family. And that basically means that maybe who wanted to put their stamp on this team. But look, even if it was the same organization, based on what we've seen, this is the right decision. And hopefully they can build around what talent they have. They have some pieces there. It's not a terrible situation. Uh, they're not like Houston where they've traded away their first round picks. So, you know, there, there's something to work with here. But it, you probably want someone who can make an impact straight away because you have Stafford. He's getting older. This isn't a complete rebuild type of job, probably. Unsurprising, I think, is, is the word for this and totally deserved as well. Patricia take, took a team that was, at the time, it's worth remembering, was a playoff team. They were, they were kind of a 9-7, and 10-6 team and he drove them um, into the ground uh, and he deserves um, to be booted out for players like Stafford. I mean, for basically Stafford has lost a good chunk um, of his peak years to, to playing under this guy. Uh, for people like him, they deserve someone better and have a proper run at this because you say they do have pieces. Yeah. Uh, the problem is always like you're saying though, like what's, what's attracting people to that team? Like, you know, you don't like, yes, you've got your draft picks, but like 
there's not a lump of young talent that you're looking at in that building going, all right, well, that's our nucleus. They've got a bad history of teams. Like, this is this is the team that squandered Megatron's entire career as well. Like, they were 0-16 before it was cool, and the Browns did it. Like, they have been pretty consistently poor, so I think you'd want to, you'd want to be sure that ownership have turned a corner. I think an offense, they have a little bit of a nucleus. They have Stafford, who, who's okay, as we've talked about. Who's, I, I reckon Stafford's solid. gone this year. I think he's I think he's out of the building. Well, we'll see what happens. If they if he do, they'll probably get a first-round pick from him, so I think that'll be fine. They got the Andre Swift. He's looked solid when he's actually played this year. Galladay's been hurt this year, but we know he can be a wide receiver one. Hawkinson's looked improved in year two. So, look, I, I'm not going to say it's a talented team, but I don't think it's a talentless team, and it has some draft resources, so... I think you can put your stamp on this pretty quickly, but you're not building from scratch. I think there'll be some expectations if you go into that organization uh, compared to some of these other jobs that will come up. No, of course. Jacksonville fired their GM, Dave Caldwell, after eight seasons. Trent Balky's been made the interim GM. They have a 37-86 and 86 record under his tenure with one playoff team. Marone will coach the rest of the season, but you've got to imagine he's a dead man walking. It's interesting because Jacksonville, for all their problems... They did kind of find decent talent in the draft from time to time. Like the problem was that you know they pissed them off and they all left and took their talents elsewhere. But like you know, like it's not he's not firing on all cylinders. But this is a team that did get to the championship game four years ago. Like they've got undrafted free agents like Robinson and stuff stepping up. DJ Chark, Gardner Minshew was decent for a sixth round quarterback. Like they're not. It's not all bad. But I think this is probably the start of a wholesale swap around in Jacksonville because, yeah, like their partial rebuilds over the last five or six years just haven't really cut the mustard. Jacksonville has been a problematic franchise for, I mean, its entire 25-odd year history. They've had basically perhaps, I, I, I might be right in thinking they've only had really one actually very good season, which was the, 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 the conference championship. Mm. They've been regularly been a losing team for a long time. Obviously, a GM with a record of 37 and 86 should not be in their job for eight years, and there's huge problems up and down um, that franchise. Uh, so, I mean, if this is the step, this is a necessary step. The question is right: is is how do you rebuild? Who do you get in? Do they have a plan? How do you work towards that plan? Because Jacksonville are a laughing stock at this point, so it is going to take a number of years and, and a bit of patience to rebuild that franchise into something that is competitive down the stretch because at the moment there's there's very little there that I think uh, has any encouragement behind it at all. Yeah, and they've been tinkering around with the organizational structure there for years. We remember the Tom Coughlin experiment, director of football nonsense. And yeah. I think it just, they, they, they and, and there's been all these cross lines where they've never really gone ahead and just kind of built an organization where all of these pieces actually worked cohesively. And to be honest, the blame, the person who should get fired or get the blame is Shad Khan, the owner, um, and of course he's still in charge of it because you know you can't fire the owner. But he, if he, if he's going to take charge of this or put someone in charge of doing this, he needs to build a cohesive unit where the head coach and the GM are put together and, and can run this organization as a twin pairing rather than having this kind of on-off nonsense that they've had for you know so many years. Of course, the number one thing that they'll need to do when they get the new GM in is pick the franchise quarterback for the future because. The, the, the based on what we've seen this year they aren't on the roster right now so yeah. they'll have a huge decision to make straight off the bat in the 2021 draft mm. uh, the one plus I suppose is that they do have most of their 
ammunition, we'll say, for the draft in place. And I think they've still got one or two pieces from bits they've traded away. So they should be able to, if they can get the setup right, kind of hit the ground running much more so than like a Texans and stuff. We'll move on to some injuries from around the league. So a couple of lighter ones to start. Uh, Vegas running back Josh Jacobs is an ankle sprain. He's week to week. Daniel Jones, quarterback of the New York Giants, has injured his hamstring and he's week to week. Expected to miss this week. And Dallas guard Zach Martin has injured his calf. He's out for two, three to four weeks. Cam Irving, the tackle, is out for two to four weeks. So a team that's already hurting at the quarterback position loses some more of its line. Uh, which is uh, only going to make Andy Dalton play better. Giants are now pushing in that division. Like this is yeah, this division. It's the NFC East again. Just <laughs> one loses the quarterback, one loses the protection for the quarterback. What's going to happen next? <laughs> like Dalton looked okay uh, in the game for most of the game. They had a fourth quarter collapse, but you know now you've lost Mark. Objectively, their best offensive lineman overall and tackle. Because Cam Irving wasn't the starter there that they had Tyron Smith and Leon Collins and both of them are on IR. So, you know, this is a team that's built or was initially built around the offensive line. And now they're going to be throwing out a, a kind of one of backups. We'll see how Dalton copes. I don't have a lot of hopes for Dallas based on where they are right now. But yeah, Danny Dimes, he's been better over the last three or four weeks. But a lot of his success has come from running the ball. And if he's got a gammy hamstring, you'd imagine that will restrict his ability to use that aspect of his game. And if he's in the pocket, kind of limping around a bit, I would have huge concerns that defences might feast upon him like they were doing earlier this season. Yeah, and his and his fumble issues will probably come back to haunt him if that starts happening again. Jones, his losses is probably the it's going to hurt the Giants. Even though they are 4-7, and seven, they are very competitive in that NFC East and probably would be winning the division given the... the the dross that's around them uh, if he stayed healthy so if it is something that is a bit longer term and its impact then that could be drag them down back into the morass and i, I don't know make the washington team the favorites for the nfc i mean it's it's just a mess <laughs> at this point for uh, and uh in the more serious injury category pittsburgh outside linebacker bud dupree has done his acl and he's gone for the season in philadelphia have lost offensive tackle lane johnson with an ankle injury to the season Pittsburgh, Bud Dupree in the last year particularly has just been playing lights out for them. Once they brought in TJ Watt, he was just he started to just turn it around from two very slow first years. So they're going to feel that in their pass rush quite a lot. It's going to mean that people can swing more to that side uh, against them. Because he was, even in the game last night that wasn't that impressive, he was a big contributor for them. Yeah, and he's on a franchise tag too. So it's obviously significant for him personally. Obviously, mm. ACLs aren't as big a deal this year, but it will certainly affect his, his contract negotiations. Yeah, like it'll affect that defense, which obviously has been not carrying the team, but which has been an important component of making them an, an undefeated team this year. And then, yeah, back to the NFC East, Lane Johnson does his ankle in. That offensive line is even worse. And Philly are in a spiral right now. So I don't expect that will help matters at all. Not in the slightest. Yeah, that's just it's it's just a division getting worse by the week. We saw Denver decided to extend offensive tackle Garrett Bowles four years. Smart move, I suppose. They're still not sure what they've got at quarterback, and to be honest, they're probably earing towards the, the need to take another look at it. But Bowles has performed pretty well for them. This is a decent contract for him. Makes sense to just pay him because offensive linemen are hard to come by. Yeah, and a bit of a redemption story here. His first couple of years were extremely challenging he, he led the league in flags uh, in multiple years he was um, my call for uh, that award i think on two separate yeah. years <laughs> <laughs> yeah and he was right but this year that they didn't pick up the option for his final year and he's had a really good 2020 
good for some people, I suppose. Um, <laughs> and yeah, he, he's managed to make a bit of money even earlier than he would have expected otherwise. So yeah, like offensive tackles, if they play well, get paid. And Garrett Bowles has, has got good just at the right time. So fair play to him. Yeah, and Houston in the crime and punishment, what are they up to? Probably felonies. Uh, Houston wide receiver Will Fuller and cornerback <laughs> Bradley Roby have both been suspended for six games for PED violations on social media. They've all came out and said it's due to a medical professional lying to them about the status of treatments. Uh, I think it kind of flags off in your head Will Fuller, who's a very good player, but has never, I think, strung together more than four games without getting injured. He's suddenly been healthy for most of the year. Like, I'm sure warning lights were going off all over the shop. But yeah, this is this is <laughs> going to... You say it's those stem cells or something, is it? Yeah, he's just uh, that old <laughs> South Park episode. Of he's just sucking live stem cells. I must just, regenerate my knees. Every yeah, day. he's just strapping placentas to them underneath all the bandaging. <laughs> but yeah, so it's, uh, it's not great for Houston now, to be fair. They don't have too many options, given that they traded away Hugh Hopkins in the offseason. Now Fuller's gone. I think they, yeah. they, cut, they cut stills and the other one got injured. So, like, they're really running out of uh, players there. Obviously, the back end, Baddy Roby had been playing decent enough for them. Yeah, like, this is just going to hurt them pretty bad. And you got to wonder, given it's two players from the same team with the exact same kind of rationale, how did they end up with this guy as a doctor? Was it kind of given to, was it suggested by the medical staff internally or whatever because two two players being caught out with the exact same kind of thing just doesn't look great the the, the strength coach in the texans is brian cushing oh right not. well that explains it entirely <laughs> that's who they bought it off <laughs> look this could just be a coincidence but and obviously neither of them play linebacker but you know like it's worth noting that uh, they have a notorious PED taker in the yeah. in, in that organization. I always, uh, I always like the like, description of Brian Cushing as being, he's just the bad guy from every 80s film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's just the guy who beats up the nerds. Like, Yeah, but like, look, Will Fuller is a huge loss. He obviously had a huge game on Thanksgiving. And yeah, like they're relying on Brandon Cooks and Kiki Kuti as their top wide receivers now. So not great. And Bradley Roby has been their cornerback one. And the defense was pretty bad so now it's even worse and so you're you have to be very concerned that a team that Deshaun Watson was literally carrying on his back has now just got that bit heavier so he might need a few PDs himself if he wants to (laughs) get out of the season without uh, breaking his back yeah it's gonna be tough particularly now because what you'd normally expect to see at this point is they'd start raiding practice squads of other teams to try and test out prospects but now that now that with COVID they're allowed to protect a number of players all the really top prospects that you'd like to get off the other people's practice squads you can't get now. So that's going to make it more difficult for injuries later into the season this year, which uh, I suppose is interesting. I wonder how many people might be being costed uh, starting jobs or at least rostered jobs because of that. Yeah, but a few more practice squad spots and stuff like that. So I think more people are getting money this year, but yeah, they, they don't have as much flexibility necessarily. Yeah, what's a, it's a, there are, there's more of them employed, but there's less social mobility. I suppose mm. on that note, we'll move <laughs> on to the, uh, to the game reviews for last week. Okay, so first up, Sam Fran at the LA Rams. 23-20, to 20, kind of a bit of a shock surprise for Sam Fran here. They won the defensive showdown with a walk-off field goal as their defense... Scored a touchdown, two interceptions, two forced fumbles, two sacks. Like, Goff didn't stand a chance. Sub 200 yards, two interceptions. Uh, He had a nice little stretch in the third quarter, but that was really about it for him. Mullins didn't do much either. Like, 250 yards in the interception. Debo had a great game out of that. He had, I think, more than half of those yards from Mullins. But, uh, yeah, like, this was 
essentially two quarterbacks not able to operate and a question of whose defense was going to be able to pull it off and San Francisco managed to pull it off in the end. It was interesting. I wasn't expecting to see the San Francisco team be able to pull it together this comprehensively. But again, it does make me wonder. We've said it a couple of times. So many of the wins have come from the NFC East outside of division stuff that it is very hard to gauge where some of these teams are apart from San Fran are doing well to you know, cobble together teams with all their injuries. This was a very chaotic game. Like, look, San Francisco were up early. They had some success running the ball early. Their defense did a lot of work against Goff in the first half, including that touchdown. And so you're talking about a situation where, you know, if they had any decent quarterback play, they probably would have run away with this game early. But they had Mullins and he was against the Rams defense and had its own touchdown, of course. And so, yeah, this kind of turned into a bit of an arm wrestle where the Rams came back into this game with a nice run from Akers, kind of invigorating their offense somewhat and Goff getting a little bit into form. But in the fourth quarter, both teams were just kind of stumbling and bumbling around. And yeah, it was just really only those Debo yards after the catch that really carried that entire San Francisco offense just enough to get a touch, to get a field goal to win this game. But like, neither of these teams looked great. But I think what you saw is that uh, San Francisco have maybe more used to kind of being able to, to, to work around their quarterback and also have a little bit more efficacy running the ball consistently. Like Rams had a couple of big runs, but they weren't getting that consistent running that San Francisco had early. So the Rams were in first place in the NFC West. This is a huge loss for them. This keeps San Francisco at the very bottom end of the wildcard hunt. But yeah, both these teams, neither of them, you have a lot of confidence in them. But I think with Shanahan, he, he made a big statement here. Goff obviously has paid a lot of money. He's expected to be good. And the fact that he was so bad and cost him a vital game, you know, just reignites all the questions we've had about Goff ever since he came into that 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 Rams team. And, uh, you know, Sean McFay's a good coach, but there's only so much you can do when you have a quarterback like that. I think this is definitely the, the kind of the takeaway from this game is, is Goff is now becoming a problem that is pulling this team down. This team looks like they have the pieces together and enough talent uh, on both ends of the ball um, but if your quarterback can't produce it when necessary, then you're not going to go very far um, at all. So, I mean, we've seen in the past, how, I mean, Goff basically, well, not single-handedly, but contributed to the heavily to the Rams in their in their one uh, recent Super Bowl appearance uh, in, in failing to win that one. Um, so I, if I'm Sean McVay, I am thinking about how do I get away from this quarterback and how do I find someone better than him. Uh, on the Niners side of the ball, I mean, the injuries are starting to, to lighten up a bit and they seem to be... Coming back into some form, the only question is, is it too late? They're, they're still a, a good few games back in the division in the wildcard hunt. Fortunately, the injuries may have cost them too much in the end. The run game looks like it's it's getting back into its groove now. They're getting the pieces back together, but Mullins is, is quite limited, uh, and they can definitely uh, look forward to the day when he's not a quarterback anymore. So, so <laughs> kind of... I, I mean, he, he his numbers always look okay. At the end of the day, you go, okay, that was that doesn't look like a terrible game. But you actually watch him in game, and he's actually very poor. Um, I, so, like yeah, I get, like you yeah, look at that, you go, Jesus, he's better. he's got like you know sixty yards more and one less interception than Goff. Yet Goff is worth a hundred million dollars, apparently, kind of thing. <laughs> like I, I think I think I take Mullins at you know six million than Goff at twenty five at thirty or whatever he's getting paid. But we'll see. Uh, Kansas City at Tampa Bay up next, 27 to 24. Tampa Bay come up short after letting Mahomes just have a day. 463 yards, three touchdowns, and Hill, Jesus Christ, just like Hill was 
nearly all of this in the first half, 269 yards and three touchdowns. They adjusted defensively for Tampa Bay in the second half and stemmed the bleeding, allowing only seven points in the second half. Brady was much better there as well, so... On the day, I think he had 345, three touchdowns and two interceptions. But it was up and down. Like, there was a question about communication. There was a lot of, like, particularly with Mike Evans, a lot of missed throws and just kind of root concerns where, like, they were going one way instead of, and then the ball being thrown the other. So it was a bit confusing. But overall, it was uh, it was an okay performance from them. They were miles behind coming into the second half, but the adjustments really seemed to help them. Again, I'm not sure if there's an element of taking the foot off the gas because Andy Reid has a tendency to do that from time to time. But uh, yeah, like a pretty comprehensive performance from Casey. Their defense looked great in the first half and then just didn't adjust in the second half to, 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 to how Tampa Bay changed up their offense. Yeah, the Buccaneers are perhaps the most interesting team in the league to, to think about and to analyze because on both sides of the ball, there are there's a lot of talent, but they're not quite making the best um, of it. Um, offensively, I mean, there's some interesting analysis actually Tony Romo was doing in, in the commentary. He says the problems that the Bucks have on offense is that they don't do enough movement, kind of pre-snap movement to get reads on the defense. They're very static. And so as a result, they're basically relying on Brady to constantly read the defense um, to a high level, which even the, the best quarterback of all time can't do all the time. And so he says that the they're essentially that Arians is asking Brady to do too much because he's a superstar, not doing enough to actually help them. And win the game, which I think is a very interesting way um, of thinking about the problems that the Bucks have. On the defensive, I mean, they've got a, such a good run defense, the teams aren't even trying to run against them anymore. The problem is the pass defense is just not up to scratch. I mean, Mahomes had 462 yards in this game. I mean, he absolutely killed them. The, the, the defensive schemes, again, have cost the Bucks in a big game, just as they cost them in that blowout against the Saints a few weeks ago this week. They had made some the really, really stupid decision to guard Hill one-on-one in a number of big plays, and they absolutely got destroyed. And it wasn't until the second half when they realized that they shouldn't do that, that they actually came back into the game. Also, penalties and discipline have cost, cost the Tampa Bay defense again and again and again. Uh, uh, JPP got a fourth quarter, a big fourth quarter interception knocked off for, for roughing the passer. And that kind of mistakes that the Tampa Bay defense have been making uh, all season. So, I mean, KC looked great. The offense is back in its groove. Everything looking good. They're looking set up for the, the repeat. But for the Buccaneers, there's just it's just a, it's just really interesting. And it's going to be very fascinating to see if they can actually pull this together in the last four weeks. They've got a bye week now, so they can maybe talk about some of the problems they're having and come back down the stretch because they are going to have to, to win a few more games to get into play into the playoffs and if they if they click they could be a very powerful team in the nfc but if they don't they're, they're going to go out very quickly i said it's interesting sean that's kind of what um tony romo was saying when he was calling the game that like he was breaking down why certain things weren't working and how those would be adjusted and basically said what well, his pick for the super bowl would be this match again, KC versus Tampa Bay, that he reckons they'll be able to figure it out because he could see exactly what was not clicking on the offense for them and stuff. But yeah, just interesting that you'd have the same kind of same outlook on it. Yeah, Romo, he got a bit over the top by the so at the start, of the, like the first quarter, he was like, "Oh, here are the problems the Bucks offense has," and he was he was calling it out very clearly. By the fourth quarter, he was like, "This team is amazing. They're going to come together so quickly in this one game that they <laughs> must be amazing." In five or six weeks' time, and I, I think his enthusiasm got a little bit better than him there. I, I don't think they're super, their favorites or anywhere near favorites for the NFC. Uh, and certainly, if they're going to be on the road three times in a row, it's going to be very difficult to win. 
Um, and I don't see them winning the division given how far behind yeah. they are, the Saints now. So, yeah, it, it's an interesting team to watch, but I can't see them being in the mm-hmm. Super Bowl. Yeah, I don't know. Like, if they play the Saints at the Superdome, I think a dome might help Tom Brady, to be honest. But, like, <laughs> that's true, actually. <laughs> like, he, he, he hit a couple of, like, deep balls, and I think we were joking about a deep ball, Tom Brady Claxon. But, like, he did look a little bit better than those. But, yeah, the schematic, I don't know what's going on the scheme thing, but there's a lot of arrogance, a lot of big personalities, and, yeah. During the bye week, they need to get together and sort out what this is. Because right now, they, you know, they they had an arrogance around them in this game where they're like, "We do this, we do things our way." From Brady says that, Arian says that, Bowl says that on the defense, and they get absolutely ripped for it until they, you know, they adjusted to what's actually out there and work with what they have. They have the talent; they just need to get their heads in the game. Next up, Baltimore Pittsburgh, the Wednesday night Sunday night football, fourteen to nineteen. This was. Messi is probably putting it very mildly. Pittsburgh struggled past this group of third stringers playing from Baltimore. Red zone was not their friend. They had one touchdown in four. They had a red zone interception. Yeah, it was just not good. Interceptions, muff pumps. Like, they dropped a couple of sitter passes that made no sense at all. But on the plus side, RG3 was terrible. So they weren't able to capitalize on all the opportunities they had. He had uh, 33 yards passing and 68 yards rushing, most of which came on a single, I think, 52-yard run or so. The Pittsburgh defense just looked great. Now, that said, it's a makeshift line basically in place in, uh, in, in Baltimore at the moment as well. I think they had to kick the tackle into guard because he is like... He's got a compound fracture on his toe, so he can't really move on it all that well. So they put him at guard because <laughs> he doesn't have to move as much as he would a tackle because he needs to have his surgery repaired and is waiting to the end of the season for that because, you know, that's logical, the thing that grown-ups do. <laughs> Bizarrely, like, once the third-string quarterback came in for Baltimore, they had a little bit more spark. They brought it back within a score. They had three and a half minutes left in the clock. They kicked it off. And then, unfortunately, all the injuries basically caught up with the defense. They weren't able to stop them at all. And the clock just ran out on them by the end. That said, I will put a quick shout out for the incredible mismanagement of how they played the, how, how they used their play calling at the tail end of the first half. They decided to run up with 35 seconds left, use a timeout, then run the ball then try and throw a pass. It should have been caught as well because the tight end wasn't playing particularly well. But equally, Pittsburgh, as always, they will do the cheating little shites. Sat there and lay on top of players at the bottom of the pile to run an extra 12 or 15 seconds off the clock to ensure that there was only one play left to get off. But yeah, Pittsburgh, you win. You're 11-0. I would look at this game and I would think, my God, 50% of teams in this league could beat this 11-0 team. I don't know if it's playing down to competition or what, but... uh, yeah, like they win, they escape, but you know they barely scraped past a bunch of third stringers. I, I think it's particularly bad for the Steelers because they like they had players, sorry, who weren't playing this game, but who were at home due to COVID, um, saying you know you know rack up those stats, we're gonna beat the hell out of these Baltimore Ravens when they have half their team. Oh, and, is that you know, a st- stiff on to it? Do it to it. Yeah, so he he had a tweet saying you know you want to rack up those stats, looking forward to beating down these guys and. Like, look, Pittsburgh objectively should have won this game quite easily. They had the chances. They just uh, ultimately screwed themselves over. They they settled for field goals. They threw that interception in the red zone early in this game. The fact that Baltimore were, were in this game is, is an aberration. Like, nine times out of ten, this would have been a blowout. But... Baltimore showed some spirit, both on the defense, where they, they, they got some pressure on them. They got a turnover 
Uh, they obviously got the muff punt as well. They kind of contained Roethlisberger. I think the fact that Roethlisberger, like uh, like Greg Rosenthal from NFL, um, talks about Big Breeze, where he's not willing to throw it more than 10 yards. He's getting these quick passes to Claypool, Deontay Johnson, and Juju. And yeah, it was very obvious in this case. And like, uh, Chris Collinsworth in the broadcast is talking about this two-second release. So it, it's worked mostly for them, but it does mean that teams are keying in on that and are condensing the defensive field and it did reduce their efficiency and make them a bit of a, a bit of a boring offense to watch. But I suppose they're happy to do that because their defense is so dominant. You know, they got a touchdown again. They had three sacks, an interception, they had a fourth fumble. And yeah, they also threw in, as you mentioned, a little bit of skullduggery um, at the end of the first half where they were lying on guys and doing stuff. But you know what? That's what you got to do to win the game. And that's a very, you know, the Steelers fans aren't known for being particularly precious about being bastards. <laughs> so I think they're happy enough, happy enough to do that. And like when you're facing Orgy Tree, who was terrible. And, you know, Trace McSurley, who had one lucky pass, let's be honest, and otherwise wasn't great. Hype. Um, then you get the job done. But like, look, they sucked in this game. Mike Tomlin came out after the game and said, you know, we sucked. Every aspect sucked. It was like a varsity team. So I think for Pittsburgh, they will say that. They'll, they'll use that to improve themselves potentially. But uh, for them, the most important thing is winning. And they got that done. So they move on to next week and uh, they continue their streak. Uh, they're facing some tougher teams down the stretch. But, you know, wins are what matters and they have the most at the moment. Next up, Arizona traveled over to New England and... Bill decided to keep Sean's hopes alive by winning 20 to 17. <laughs> New England had a couple of red zone stands. Like, they pulled me back in. <laughs> <laughs> Their special teams had two returns of over 50 yards and the running game, 110, two touchdowns. It was great. They set up the winning field goal after Arizona missed a field goal. Cam was basically, they just worked around him, 130 yards and two interceptions. Kyler Murray... Not much going, 200 yards and an interception. Again, we find that his probably that injury is still impacting him and how they're playing, how they're calling plays. But the run game overall worked a bit better, 138 yards, hitting about four yards a carry or so on that. It was a solid performance. I think a surprising one because everyone expected Arizona to maybe roll here. Obviously, I think this is, again, like I said about the Seahawks game, I think the impact of the injury to Murray and how that cuts down on some of what they can call impacted this. But this was a stout defensive performance from New England, a bit more reminiscent of, say, last year and the last couple of years, particularly that red zone stand that kind of, I was just like, oh, oh, they're doing what they used to do again. Did it kind of make you think, Sean, that there's a sniff of a seventh place wild card here, maybe? Oh, don't don't say these things to me. I, I um, I'm I'm almost I'm I'm almost grateful in a way that the Pats are in the AFC and the AFC is having a kind of historically good year in terms of strong teams. That even though they're now back to five and six, they're still two games behind. There's a number of teams that they have to to kind of beat out in the end, and they just don't seem to have the consistency. I mean, it's all great to have these kind of big wins over kind of good teams, but they got to be producing it week after week to do this the week after that they, they lost the Texans. And it's just, that's what's heartbreaking, is that this team, when they play well, are competitive against good playoff teams, but they're just not doing it um, often enough. Um, so this, I mean, there are some some good things to take back from this. They do seem to have, the, the Pats do seem to have a bit more of a, a backbone to them. They they were 10 and 10-0 down early in this game, and obviously in, in past games this season, that would have been the end of them. They fought back. There was the great goal line stand at the end of the second quarter um, that was very good. 
Gilmore had a good game. He had a very nice battle um, against DeAndre Hopkins that went back and forth that included the very rarely seen double pass interference call where both the defender and the wide receiver were tackling each other so much trying to get the ball that the refs just penalized them both and reset the play. The problems that the Pats have going down the stretch is a really, I think it, it's the end of the road for Cam here. There's just, he's fallen off a cliff in terms of his productivity. It's just not there anymore. His reads have been poor all season, but particularly so in this game. The second interception was just an absolutely brutal throw. I don't know what he was trying to do there. You imagine Balcic is now thinking about QB options. Can they get up in the draft to get a to get a, a good quarterback to build his team around? Because Cam, I don't think you could even give him a, another year. Um, I think the experiment is over. Um, from the Arizona side, they, they will be hurt by this. Murray, as, as you said, Connor, looks injured. And especially his mobility, he doesn't have the ability to move around, which is such a big part of his game, which has given the, the Cardinals fewer options. And against a, a Pats defense, which hasn't had a good season, but is coached by one of the best defensive coaches in history, an offense which doesn't have many options um, is, uh, is kind of a sitting duck um, to what was going on. So a good win for the, for the Pats that kind of theoretically keeps the season alive. But honestly, um, until they get back to at least 500, I'm not, I'm not talking them up um, just yet. No, of course. Carolina, Minnesota, 27-28. to 28. Carolina miss a field goal, let Cousins come back in. 300 yards, three touchdowns on a final touchdown drive to win it. They had two back-to-back chin touchdowns on the defense, four fumble touchdowns. And there was a muffed punt as well there to put Minnesota in the hole. Carolina stopped Cook effectively, which was surprising. 60 yards from him, but uh, Teddy wasn't able to really do much. The offense stuttered, 260 yards, a touchdown, an interception. They just weren't able to, 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 to get past them. Again, this is a game that uh, they could have won, they didn't win. And it felt like two teams that were constantly the could have win, should have win, didn't win. And it's just whichever one flopped slightly less badly. Yeah, and uh, Carolina are having a bad habit of uh, Joey Sly, their kicker, missing these uh, game-winning field goals. Yeah. To be fair, usually they're pretty goddamn long. It's always a surprise when Kirk Cousins leads a two-minute drill to win a game. Like it's all, it just you know your brain is kind of like that doesn't quite make sense. But to be fair to him, he found Kyle Rudolph on that final drive to get them down the field, and then Chad Beebe, who had the muff punt, which kind of put them in the hole and made this a six-point game instead of a three-point game, had the, the touchdown. So you know, good for him, good for Kirk Cousins, and uh, yeah, they stay at the very, very bottom of the uh, wild card hunt just about uh, given the losses to teams like Arizona they they're not completely out of it yet and the fact that they did that without Dalvin Cook without Adam Thielen who was on the COVID list um, due to a series of positive then negative tests um, I think you have to be happy enough with Minnesota to get out of here with a win when you had those two defensive touchdowns fumbles um, yeah. so you know one from Cousins one from Cook that that's a huge like 14 free points and you still win you have to take it off from that and uh, Justin Jefferson um, had two touchdowns in this game. He looks like a bona fide wide receiver one um, without dealing in the game and they have to be very excited that they basically traded away Diggs and got him uh, basically yeah. on the cheap. And for Carolina, look, they're just, it was a very Carolina game. They were okay, but, you know, at times they just looked very inconsistent and Teddy looked obviously a bit hurt. And yeah, they just, they, you know, they, they're, they're okay. And obviously this is the first the team we were expecting to rebuild, but uh, yeah, they're not at, you know, challenging level yet, and four and eight feels about right for them, um, given where they've been this season. Yeah, without Cleve- Christian McCaffrey. Cleveland at Jacksonville, twenty-seven to twenty-five. Cleveland nearly let it go. Uh, Glennon just missed a two-point uh, conversion after him and Robinson worked it up the field. Glennon had two touchdowns, two hundred thirty yards. Robinson one hundred and fifty-nine and a touchdown. 
Baker looked fine in this, 250 and two touchdowns, particularly given that they'd avoided using him for the last while. It was nice to see him come back out. Landry hit a big day, 143 and a touchdown. Chubb, look, does the job, 176 yards and a touchdown. He's a very good running back. Hunt was in there for a few bits. He did decently, but I think they're realizing that particularly in these types of games, Chubb is the guy to go to, the kind of big heavy hitter. Yeah, like he's who their offense is based around. It was nice to see Baker, like I say, come back into it. For Jacksonville, look, I'm surprised they were this competitive, to be honest. Well done. Uh, maybe they're getting a bump because the giraffe is playing quarterback. I'm not sure. But, you know, well done for staying close. Cleveland, I'd like to see this a little bit clearer cut the next time if I could. Worth noting here that the Cleveland Browns, with eight wins plus both of the New York teams still to play, are going to the playoffs um, unless they have a complete collapse. Um, well, this uh, is. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. This is the Cleveland Browns team that is now eight and three which is um, an utterly bizarre sentence um, to be saying. Um, <laughs> even though they probably don't look like an 8-3 team, they do have the win and this, the win record. And this is an example of the things that the Browns have never been able to do, which is to grind out wins um, in tough games. Um, and yes, I mean, the Jags don't have an awful lot about them, but this did turn into uh, a tough game, largely because the Jacksonville are improving on both ends of the ball. Their defense has got some players back. Glennon is, is a significant improvement on Jake Luton, but it's probably, I mean, it's, it's much too late for the Jacksonville this season, but it, they were able to give Cleveland a, a good game. Ultimately, it's kind of weird this game comes down to um, a couple of missed two point conversions. So the Jags obviously lost the game because they didn't convert in the end, but they also missed a two point conversion earlier in the game. They, they got, I think it was a penalty that brought the, the kick, the, brought them into the one yard line, mm-hmm. which meant that usually teams go for two in that spot and they because they missed that two-point conversion they were then behind two at the end of the game so instead they could have just kicked two extra points and tied the game essentially and um, so they were let down um, by that but yeah i think that the news that's kind of big story to take from this is that the cleveland browns are grinding it out and are going to be grinding their way into a playoff game for the first time in i probably in recorded history that's the thing is it that long 2002. 2002. 2002 was the last yeah, time. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm completely wrong. That I thought they snuck in. I think I thought so I probably just confuse them with one of those like one and done Bengals teams from that period. Uh, uh, I think they had a record one year that would have got them playoffs usually, but they they missed out because ah, uh, fair enough. <laughs> um, so next up, uh, fit Seattle at Philly, 23 to 17. You sneaked by them. Yeah, like look, like Seattle were in control of this game despite their own mistakes. They had like two failed fourth down conversions early on in this game, but like DK had a huge play in the second quarter where he dominated Slay and he continued to dominate Slay for the rest of the game for about 177 yards. And like the Philly D uh, and like the, 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 the D for Seattle was better. It had six sacks and an interception, it, uh, which, which was hilarious. Like Carson Wentz literally just threw it to. Quandre Diggs in the red zone. It was, I don't know what was happening. And they held him to 250 yards. But like the, the story here is that Philly are in a complete tailspin. Wentz looked awful, except for like a brief moment around the, the half. 215 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. But one of those touchdowns was a Hail Mary that was basically complete fluke. Um, and yeah, the whole Philly team looked sad, moribund. They don't know what they're doing. They're still relevant because NFC East, but uh, yeah, not much there. And for Seattle, like look, they have a series of of, of cupcakes right now they just need to win these games and uh, let their uh, NFC West opponents keep losing games uh, speaking of relevant for the NFC East Washington at Dallas uh, Washington weren't letting Dallas run away with this one Sean were they 
41 to 16. Yeah, uh, the, the scoreline, I think, is a little bit of a misnomer. This game was pretty close up to kind of late in the third quarter, and then and then the Cowboys made a whole bunch of mistakes. But yeah, so the Cowboys Thanksgiving game, as I said last week, is usually the most watched game in the regular season, and the huge audience got to see a very mediocre game between two very me- mediocre teams. Washington won this game because they got a very big game out of Gibson, who had three touchdowns and 136 yards. Um, Smith was solid. A lot of it based around very conservative play calling. Had they lost this game, there would have been talk about how conservative their play calling was, but it did allow them to build long and productive drives. Alex Smith is nothing if not the world's most boring quarterback, um, <laughs> who nonetheless um, produce it. Um, at, the end of the, at the end of the day, he's produced the points, but the way he got there has sent everyone to sleep. The big story, though, um, is the Cowboys, same old problems, error-prone um, again, two absolutely awful calls to go for it on fourth down um, that both failed. Um, Zeke had a fumble, Lamb dropped a, a touchdown pass there. there it was just uh, mistakes cost him in the end. The other big thing to talk about here is the regression um, of Zeke. He's really come down um, from his, his early years. He's getting a lot less yards going forward and a lot more errors. And in a season in which their other great offensive talent is out injured for the season, um, they really needed Zeke to step up, and he hasn't. So that the Washington football team are now, I think, 4-7, and seven, which ties them for the division lead. And with the Giants having lost Danny Dimes for a few weeks, there's an opportunity here for this incredibly, incredibly mediocre team to solidify um, their, uh, their claim um, on that really precious NFC East playoff spot. Uh, next up, Tennessee at Indianapolis, 45-26, to 26, all bow before King Henry, 185 yards and three touchdowns on the ground, most of which came in the first half, dominates Indianapolis, and Tannehill does a fine job cleaning it up, 220 yards and a touchdown. And then it was just sitting on a 21-point halftime lead. Rivers did Rivers things, sub-300, but two touchdowns interception. There was no real run game for them. Buckner wasn't there in the defense, so they didn't do a loss. They allowed 450 yards and only had one sack. Like... This is why I don't think Indianapolis are a proper playoff contender because I think they don't know how to play from behind. They don't know how to dig themselves out of holes. And the thing is, normally, if this was a close game, Rivers would just make a mistake at the tail end of it instead. But Tennessee were able to get back to the kind of system that helped them last year do so well. Like this relying on Henry, letting Tannehill clean up and letting the defense do a bit of work. And if they can keep that going and Henry has been getting better and better as the season has gone on, as he did last year in confusing the more he's run, the more energy he has type thing. Perpetual motion machine bullshit. Basically, yeah, they are going to do pretty nicely. Chargers at Buffalo, 17 to 27 fits. Again, the Buffalo kind of had in hand mostly and then the fourth quarter was a complete bumble fest by both teams. Like, Buffalo had three turnovers, two forced thumbs and interception. And uh, the Chargers had an interception of their own. And some really weird play calling, admittedly, at the end of the game where, where things were running away from them. But, you know, they had, a, a, like, they had like, in their two-minute drill, they had a quarterback sneak where the offensive line did a pass protection set. And <laughs> Herbert got hit in the face. And they did a run in that say like to, at the goal line as well. So uh, the Chargers just were are like th- th- this is the Chargers. They have Herbert, who was fun again, three hundred sixteen yards, touchdown interception, maybe a bit of a down game, but he was still fun. And Eckler came back and had one hundred twenty nine yards. So the the Chargers are fun, but they're fuck ups. And you know Buffalo have been a bit fuck up since earlier on in the season, but they still did enough in this game 
to get away with it. So, like, look, Buffalo, the wins are important, uh, and Chargers are bad at winning, so they did just about get away with this one. But, uh, yeah, they could certainly have done of making this fourth quarter a lot more boring if they'd just been a bit more efficient. Yeah, finally, Vegas at Atlanta, 6-43. Look, Las Vegas absolutely shut down Carr, 215 yards and interception, three forced fumbles. Like, I, I don't know if he just used up all of his magic last week against the Chiefs or whatever. Even the game script just didn't really work. Atlanta didn't really need to do all that much in this game. Like, Ryan was 185 yards, two touchdowns and interception. They had 125 on the ground. Like... Yeah, it was crazy because we were kind of going, this Vegas team looks good. But sure, they couldn't do the same thing as they did in previous years and just start to collapse entirely down the stretch. And this is what they do straight out of the gate, put up six against the Falcons. Look, Falcons looked good. and They've got more of a chance, even at their record, of pushing for a wild card spot because of how the NFC is. But Vegas need to get their shit together if they want to stay competitive. Hopefully it was just a burn-the-tape kind of game that they just weren't up for it at all following the last week and they can turn it around. But yeah, not a not a great look for them if they want to be proper wild card contenders. Now we've got a couple more games, but we're going to do uh, what we're going to call the dump-off. So we're going to give these to Fitz to just fly through real quickly. That's normally because they're either not playoff relevant or nothing happened that we care about. Yeah, like the first is Giants-Cincinnati 19-17. An ugly game. Obviously, Jones had an injury. He looked fine before that. And then McCoy attritioned out just about this win. Cincinnati had free, seven free points from a special teams play, but Brandon Allen looked absolutely awful and the lack of talent really showed. So the Giants get an important win, but uh, without Danny Dimes, you'd be worried that they could drop a lot of games uh, over the last bit of the season. Chicago at Green Bay, Sunday night football, 25-41. to uh, The score flatters Chicago and it doesn't really look good for them. Green Bay beat down early on this game and they went 41 to 10 entering the fourth quarter the run game worked Rodgers was efficient with four touchdowns Mitch Tiddy's up and down three touchdowns two interceptions and the run game did its work but this supposedly elite D did very little to stop Rodgers and uh, and Aaron Jones so uh, not much hope there in Chicago Miami at Jets 20 to 3 routine win for Miami against a very sad looking Sam Darnold 200 yards two interceptions and even though the run game was okay-ish, nearly four yards, and the defense had two turnovers. Didn't matter because the offense sucks, and Fitz only had to do, you know, decent work. 250 yards, two touchdowns, and spot duty as the deep strangled the Jets. Uh, Miami well-placed for the playoffs. Houston at Detroit, the other Thanksgiving game, and it was also uh, not much fun to watch. Three first-half turnovers by Detroit made a big hole, um, including a Watt-Pick 6, uh, and that meant that, you know, Will Fuller kind of in his last hurrah, I suppose, Killed off the Detroit Lions early in the second half. 171 yards, two touchdowns. With a nice flea flicker game play in there. That's the only thing worth going back to this game for. Uh, Houston are ever-reliant on Watson, but uh, that's better to be never-reliant on bad players, which Detroit have. And New Orleans at Denver, the embarrassment game. Basically no passing in this game. 44 runs to 16 passes for New Orleans. 33 runs to 9 passes for Denver. An embarrassment of the game. We talked about this already. Look, Taysom Hill looked like Taysom Hill bad at passing, good at running, and Latavius Murray cleaned up with 124 yards and two touchdowns, but the, the young fella Hinton left in an impossible situation. The entire team rallied around him, they talked well about him, but this was an embarrassment of the game, and New Orleans get, as Sean said, a free win. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of not great games there, but uh, this, this week's dump off, uh, yeah, well, I'm happy to get to see the end of that. Yeah, and I can only imagine the dump-offs will increase as the, as the season hits towards the end. We'll go ahead and we'll have a look at the games for next week. Okay, so first up, Jacksonville at Minnesota. We've all gone for Minnesota across the board here, Fitz. 
Jacksonville's run defense is not good. They just gave up a whole bunch of yards to Nick Chubb. I expect Dalvin Cook, even though he's a bit nicked up, to, to be solid here. And even if they have to rely on Madison, that should be enough. Like Minnesota, that they seem to be coming into a little bit of form. And Jacksonville, even though they showed a bit of spark, there's just so much lack of talent there. And I think they're, they're racking up the, the defensive injuries again, and that is really the last nail in the coffin, I think, for them being relevant. Yeah, Cincinnati at Miami. We're going for Miami across the board. Like we said, they're looking good. Tua might be back in place. They're kind of fun to watch. Cincinnati, Burrow's gone, so there's not really much to look at there. They, I don't think they've even got the chance of mixing back this week, so I think he is fully on RR. Like, it's it's just going to be one-sided and probably a very sloppy game. Their only hope is if it's Magic is in or two is in, and you might get a bit of kind of fun highlight reel stuff, but not one to set your DVRs for. Uh, Cleveland to Tennessee. Gone for Tennessee across the board in this one, Sean. Yeah, so this is my pick of the week. It's a very big uh, AFC game with playoff implications. Both these teams are 8-3 and three fighting for high seedings. Cleveland aren't going to win their division, but would... Uh, would be looking to get maybe the the, the five seed tennis, uh, Tennessee looking to hold on to their their lead at the AFC South. Um, I think it's going to be a good game, a very run heavy game. Both teams um, are very reliant on the run game carrying them. I think the difference between these two teams is ultimately that the Titans can rely on a quarterback in Daniel to produce the yards that complement Henry's running game, whereas the Browns. Uh, I just I mean Baker had a decent game last week, but I just don't think he, he does enough to, to kind of supplement the productivity that you get um, fr- from Chubb uh, and from Hunt. So I, I see the Titans, who are on a, a bit of a good run, um, extending this, getting themselves into a comfortable position at the top of their group, and, and leaving the Browns to, to rely on those two New York wins um, to get themselves into the playoffs. Yeah, we've also got a battle of the Titans, Detroit at Chicago. Uh, we've all got for Chicago shots. Yeah, two teams who had... Decent starts to the season, but have gone significantly downhill since the Detroit have fired their head, their head coach and have been going nowhere for a very long time. The, the Bears have lost, I think, five in a row or, or something uh, in that order. So two teams that are going nowhere. We've all gone from the Bears to win this one simply because their defense um, is of a high standard and they've just enough about them. The, the, the Lions are just falling to pieces. They're just not producing anything anymore. I would not be surprised if the Lions don't win another game before the end of the season. Whereas at least the Bears should pick up the odd game here and there to, to maybe finish 7-9 and nine, um, or 8-8. Eight and eight. So I think the Bears to, to win this one. Yeah, Indianapolis Colts versus the Houston Texans. We've gone for the Colts across the board. The Houston don't have any wide receivers left. Uh, it's that simple. They might be getting uh, Johnson back at running back, but that's up there. He's just come off the COVID list. Indianapolis, for all their flaws, do have a decent level of talent. They do have an okay level of defense and quarterbacking talent there. So, like... Look, they should be able to eke this out. They are most likely a wildcard team or a wildcard contender, and this is an individual game that they should want to, to, to kind of clean up well on. So we'll go for India across the board in that one. Next up is my pick of the week, New Orleans at Atlanta, uh, mostly because I'm just really interested to see how this plays out. Me and Fitz have gone for New Orleans. Sean's gone for Atlanta. New Orleans defense has been playing great, but like we said, they've got Taysom Hill, a quarterback, who can't really play quarterback. is just kind of a semi-wildcat with a better arm. Atlanta absolutely destroyed the Raiders last week, but have also, for the most part, not been that great, and this is a strong New Orleans defense they're going to be coming up against. So I think we're going to get a real feel for what this Atlanta team looked like in this game, and I also get a feel that like this will be, because the offensive firepower does exist there, at least theoretically for Atlanta, and that is also 
I suppose, predicated on, 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 on Jones being back in for them. We might be able to see just how far the offense of this New Orleans without Breeze can go if they start to get pushed back on by Atlanta. But I think this should be uh, an entertaining one that could either get crazy explosive on offense or get really, really defensive. There's just literally no uh, form book on this because obviously New Orleans beat up Atlanta just two weeks ago, but then Atlanta do that thing to Vegas. And yeah, I think the big the big thing is if New Orleans defense can be what they were a couple of weeks ago, they should win this. But uh, yeah, if Julio comes back and Atlanta showed some of what they had this week, then yeah, it could get it could actually end up being as you say an explosive game or a very ugly game. It's yeah, like I'm a, I'm I'm a fan of chaos, and this game is chaos. <laughs> I think just to just to go on this game, I just think that the folly of Chasem is going to be exposed here. You cannot build a uh, number one. Um, offense around uh, a quarterback who can't throw properly. And I think the, the, the Falcons have been on very good for, or pretty decent form since they, since mm-hmm. they changed uh, head coaches. And so, I mean, I think they'll be, I think they'll be riled up for this game, a divisional rival game, chance to, to screw up the Saints season a little bit. I think the Falcons will be up for this and they'll give them a fight. Yeah, no, that's what I think. I think it's going to be great. Vegas at the Jets. We've all gone for Vegas. His Jets aren't a team. Am I correct, Sean? Yeah. So this is this is the bounce back game. The Raiders obviously dropped one that they really couldn't afford to drop last week. As as I've been talking about, there, they've they're very, they're a good team who faced a tough schedule, and now they need to pile up those wins if they want to take their rightful place in the playoffs. They couldn't beat the Falcons, but surely to God they can beat the New York Jets. There's enough in this. Uh, offense to, to carry them and the Jets just don't know anything at all. The Jets in fact it's not even in their interest to win games anymore given that they are only one game behind or ahead of the Jags <laughs> if you want to think about it that way yeah. uh, in the in the race for the for the top spot in the draft. So the, if anything the Jets if they look like they might be winning they should really start to troll this game um, because I, it's not in their I, interest. Uh, I still win. reckon that's the only reason that Adam Gase is still there. Because he gives them the best chance I, I, of losing I, th- I, I, I believe that theory. I, I'm, I'm on board with that theory now that the <laughs> The management have been like, the only way we can guarantee that we're not going to win any games this season um, is to keep this guy in at head coach. Yeah. So uh, Vegas to beat the Slump Busters. Uh, okay, Ronan, your pick of the week's up next, the Rams at Arizona. Me and Sean have taken the Rams and you've gone for Arizona. Yeah, and it's really hard to, to call this because both these teams have uh, put up some clunkers recently. They're obviously coming boat off losses that were surprising. And yeah, like it's hard to know where the plate is. Obviously, Arizona... You know, I think both of you are probably picking the Rams because you think that Kyler Murray is his injury issues severely hamstring this offense. And obviously they have Jalen Ramsey with the Rams and he can lock up the Andre Hopkins. I think the run game from Arizona has been getting a little bit better. I think that could be important in this game, even though the Rams are a tough run defense as well. So I don't expect either of these teams to dominate. Um, but I, I kind of have a bit of trust that Arizona, they've been put in a tough situation, lost a couple of important games that they could get back in form. But yeah, this is really too close to call, in my opinion. For the Rams, look, it's all about Jared Goff. He's just coming off an awful game. The Arizona defense is pretty soft on, on average. Um, so if he struggles in this game, that's really a huge point of concern for them going forward. But yeah, like for, for a Seattle fan, I'm happy either way, to be honest, because one of these teams has to lose. Um, but yeah, it should be, it's, it's a really, it, it, both these teams are playoff relevant, both these teams are up and down, so it should be an interesting game. Could get very ugly very fast if things go a certain way, and if the Rams win, it probably will be an ugly game. But if Arizona win, I think it, we might have something uh, worth watching this week. Um, it isn't a great state of games, but uh, this is one of the more interesting ones. Giants at Seattle. Giants. 
yeah, like look, like if Danny Dimes was healthy, I, I we probably talk about this a bit more, but we either a hobbled to have Danny Dimes or more likely Colt McCoy. Um, I don't know if the Seattle D Seahawks will dominate them. That's not really their style. But I imagine even if they huff and puff, they will still have enough to win this game, much like they did over Philly this week. So look, the Giants are a solid team. Joe Judge is doing some interesting things, but it's hard to see them traveling across the country with a, ba- a backup quarterback or a badly injured quarterback and managing to win in Seattle. No, of course. Philly at Green Bay. We've all gone for Green Bay. Yeah, like Philly are just waterless at the moment. There's talk again about... Jalen Hurts, there's just, yeah, like, they're just a mess. Green Bay, as we said, has a soft underbelly, but Philly don't have the personnel to exploit it, I don't think. Green Bay are at home. They've got Aaron Rodgers. They're kind of on form of late, and Philly are just just lost. Green Bay have a bad run defense. We saw that against the Bears, and Montgomery had a big game. They've been bad statistically all season. You have Miles Sanders. You have Boston Scott. If you're Philly, if you're Doug Peterson right now, you should take this as an invitation to get those guys involved and take the pressure off Carson Wentz, maybe set up more play action for him. Like, will even if they do that successfully, will it be enough to beat this Green Bay team? Possibly not, but at least it would make this a competitive game and get some confidence back into this team. Because I don't think these are the kind of games that are going to settle the NFC East. Like, the Giants are probably going to lose the Seahawks. Philly are probably going to lose the Green Bay. But it's all about just re-establishing some semblance of being a an okay team at the very best and getting back into things. But yeah, Green Bay, we know they're a more talented team. We know that they tend to, to win games against these lesser lights. But the, if the Philly defense gets under their skin, if Philly can get a run game going, maybe they can make something out of this. But yeah, Green Bay have to be favoured based on the form book. New England at the Chargers. I've gone for the Chargers and you guys have gone for New England. Sean? Yes, Connery making the, the bold uh, prediction that the Chargers will actually win a game, which um, I, I took my cap to you. The Chargers are exciting, Herbert is exciting, but as we've been talking about for weeks and weeks, they just have this self-destruct button that when they get close to winning a game, they try and find a way um, to lose it. The Pats have been up and down all season, and these are the kinds of games that they've struggled with. They've struggled to beat mediocre teams that that just keep at them. But I, I have to imagine that the the Chargers will find a way to lose this game, and, and the Pats will, will find a way to, to cling on um, and... That'll put them at 500, and then I'll have to start thinking about hoping for them um, once again. Um, it's it's such a strange season. I'm so used to them being dominant that this this kind of halfway house between good and bad is is almost worse than just being terrible. But here they are to my pick to to go to six and six uh, and to break my heart one more time this season. Next up, Denver at Kansas City. Uh, we're going for Kansas City across the board. Look. Chiefs are firing on pretty much all cylinders, although we'd like to see the defense step up a bit. Denver look not great at the moment. they still got good pieces on defense. they still got good pieces on offense. But quarterback's a big question. We don't know who... I presume all of the quarterbacks, apart from the third stringer, are back from the COVID stuff at this point. But yeah, like yeah. it's very, very hard to see them being able to pull this off. But that said, it's an in-division game. They play them very closely, and they do have a tendency to be able to pull up upsets occasionally. So maybe, but I can't really see past Kansas City in that game. Washington football teams at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Pittsburgh across the board from us because... Uh, like, Yeah? Like it's... <laughs> This Washington is an incredibly impo- limited team at the end of the day. Yeah. Washington well, scored 41 is- points last week. <laughs> yeah. And I, hate- and I like, still problem. can't see them doing anything. I think it's an important game, though, because I think, you know, we've now put Washington as the best team in the NFC East. 
we don't expect them to have any additional wins this week given the uh, matchups that, that each team is facing. You know, but like Washington, if they can make this a game, if they can be solid, if they can get Gibson going, you know, we saw that Pittsburgh were weak against the run against Baltimore. I think Antonio Gibson uh, has shown some things that make you excited about that. And they just keep this close to their chest and solid. That Pittsburgh team can be beat. Um, they can be weakened, but Washington, you know, we, we want to see some NSETs be worth being in the playoffs. Let's see if they can do it here. But obviously, Pittsburgh are undefeated. Washington have, you know, many more losses than wins. So I think we have to pick yeah. Pittsburgh. But, you know, this could be an interesting enough game. Yeah, like like to give to give them a chance. But Dupree's out to the pass rush for Pittsburgh is not going to be as strong, which is probably also going to impact how they play against the run because they're going to have to bring some support in to that, uh, that right-hand side. The defensive line for... Washington is pretty good and we saw in last night's game Ben's getting the ball out real quick but if you can kind of push rush two or rush three and get a little bit of pressure on him while dropping everyone else back you've got a best chance against him so look like they've got a puncher's chance but I just I don't I find it hard to see them winning it yeah but just be okay just don't make us embarrassed <laughs> of the NFC East again like I don't necessarily want Washington to win because it's you know Dan Snyder exists but I, I want to see okay football so I'm, I'm willing to tolerate that Next up, Buffalo at San Francisco. Um, Ian Pitt's gone for Buffalo. Sean, you've gone for San Fran. This is a very tough one for me to call. I was It's literally kind of flip a coin territory for me. Uh, San Fran looked great last week. Buffalo, I think I trust their quarterbacking and their offense more than I do of the Rams and Jared Goff, to, 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 to put it to them. But this San Francisco team is very well coached, and I can completely see how they could come out of here because they're also at home. Buffalo are traveling a big distance and just say, we know exactly what we need to do to limit the impact of Josh Allen because he isn't a complete quarterback. So I could see it. Yeah, for me, the, the 49ers have shown last week that they, once they get their pieces back together, they are a very good team that's well coached. I think they'll be gunning for, for the Bills' weaknesses. And I do think the Bills do have weaknesses. We've seen them have up and down weeks. We've seen them have games where they just haven't performed. And I'm still not 100% convinced that, that this team uh, is as good uh, as they seem to be um, on paper and, and on their, their win record. That's so just see 25 that years of playing kind of... in their division, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. Perhaps I just never respect the, the builds. But uh, <laughs> certainly um, I, I, can, I can see the Niners the kind of fighting for the win here uh, and making another big statement win. And finally, we've got Dallas at Baltimore. Baltimore coming off the, hopefully with more players coming off the COVID list. Dallas, as we mentioned, have some injuries to that offensive line. But Baltimore have, they were missing half of their defensive line in the last game. So hopefully they'll be back for them as well. I've gone for Baltimore. Fitz has gone for Baltimore. Sean, you've gone for Dallas. Any any particular reasons? Not not an awful lot. Obviously, the Cowboys are, are, are pretty terrible on uh, on both sides of the ball, although their offense can slightly be more productive. I just think the Ravens are in a bit of a death spiral here. Their season seems to be falling to bits around them, and who knows how many players are going to have back, how, who knows uh, what kind of kind of mindset they're going to be in. Uh, it feels like all the momentum this team had in, in the early weeks has been sucked out of it, and the, the, the Cowboys can, on their day, give teams a fight, as we've seen what they did to the Steelers. Mm-hmm. three or four weeks ago they're like the wins that they've gotten this season have been when they've managed to get up big kind of big scores early and coast from there when they've had to fight for wins that they haven't done all that well this season the cowboys are, okay are limited defensively a little bit less limited offensively but incredibly error prone 
but you I can just I can just see them kind of trying to turn this game in, into a fight, finding a way to, to win, and, and the Ravens maybe losing a little bit of their uh, their mojo uh, and their their heart for the battle as it goes down the stretch. Mostly, I mean, it's this kind of this pick is not a, a pro Dallas pick. It's more that I just just don't buy into the Ravens anymore, and I can see their season falling off a cliff um, from here, definitely. Fair enough, yeah. I just think Dallas are terrible. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we'll see. <laughs> this is also a fair call. This is also a fair call. We're, we're, uh, we're, both, we're all picking against teams rather than four teams, and that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's what Tuesday Night Football is all about, right? Mm, 100%. Uh, <laughs> any, any, any crack at yourself for the weekend, lads? Uh, obviously, not a ton of stuff with there. It's still semi lockdown, not lockdown. But uh, any, any, any major plans? Uh, no, not really. No, uh, it's uh, yeah, trying to avoid the madness. I, I can only imagine the Christmas rush will have th- uh, comprehensively begun this weekend. Um, so staying away from major cities um, or <laughs> shopping locations for a while. I think Do- doing my grocery shopping on, on a Tuesday morning as opposed to a Saturday afternoon, I think, is, is the plan for the next few weeks. Oh, very good. What yourself? It's pretty quiet as well. Uh, similar ideas to, to Sean. Uh, uh, the, 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 the boys, Cavan boys, after beating your lads a couple of weeks ago, now go up to get slaughtered by the uh, Dublin boys up in Crow Park. Is that this weekend or is that next weekend? That, that, that's this weekend, Cavan oh, versus okay. Dublin. It's, it's, it, 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 if, you know, it was like, uh, what, 1 to 10 against Donegal? I think it's like, yeah, Dublin are like, for, for, for our, our American listeners or people who don't care about the GAA or Irish, uh, Irish Gaelic football, yeah, it, it's... It's it's it, Dublin are basically the Patriots of the league, except even more dominant. Won five in a row. They're just ridiculous. And uh, yeah, see, like the uh, old Cavan boys are going up there. Maybe they can get it done. Go on, Cavan. Go on, Cavan. I'll be cheering for you. <laughs> but no, uh, that's too good. I'm actually going to be seeing some Cavan people because we're going to see a, a niece who was born who we haven't seen yet. Probably about four months old now. Five months old. Mm. So I think we're now finally going to be able to see them. But no, apart from that, fairly quiet, similar to yourselves. So I suppose that'll do us for this week. So uh, it's bye from myself, bye from Fitz. Bye. Bye from Sean. Bye. It's been all four quarters. Thanks for listening and we will chat to you next week.